us. We're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study in the book of Ephesians. Matter of fact, we're going to finish this morning. We have been the last several months doing a study in this powerful, very wonderful epistle, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church in the New Testament. If you'll turn to chapter 6, we're going to start reading at verse 10. We're going to back up a little bit and just uh, go over this section. It's, it's a very important section uh, as we finish this epistle this morning on spiritual warfare. If you need a Bible to follow along with us, just raise your hand and Jerry will slip you a Bible. But we'll begin reading at verse 10, and we'll cover verses 10 through 24, and that will finish this wonderful epistle of Ephesians. And I hope that you've been blessed. I know that I have as we've been going through this wonderful uh, letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome under house arrest. And as Paul took pen to paper, he began to write to this very dynamic church that he had established on his third missionary journey. And he writes to them about all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ and found in him, only comes from him. And you see, there's a lot of people that don't know, and even Christians that don't fully understand the spiritual blessings that are ours, that are found in Christ, as he takes us into the heavenlies, that you've been chosen and you've been adopted. You have an eternal inheritance with the Lord. You've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. And he just continues just to tell us of all the blessings that are ours as we come to him. And of course, chapter two, that we were dead spiritually, and he has made us alive because of what Jesus Christ has done in going to the cross of Calvary for you and for me. And, and we're saved by grace through faith. And it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, lest anyone should boast. And then Paul would go on to say, as we're saved by grace through faith, we're not saved by works, but you are created for good works. In other words, that you are his workmanship, and that in the original language means that you are his masterpiece. You are his poem. And I want you to understand this, that as Paul would even pray in chapter 3, that he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. You are created for good works in Christ Jesus. He has a plan for you. He desires to use you and to bless your life. That you are created for that very purpose as the, the uh, angels would declare in Revelation chapter 4 around the throne of God, the 24 elders, that you are created for his good pleasure. So Paul's reminding of us of all these things, and you belong to this wonderful thing that's called the church. It's a holy temple unto God, as Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And remember, as a privileged status, that you have relationship with the Father, and we have relationship with one another. And He does want to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And so that finishes chapters one, two, and three the spiritual blessings that are ours. And I hope and I pray that we would always remember of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ and be established in those truths. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, this is now how you live for Christ. And you are to walk worthy of the calling in which you are called. And over the last several weeks, we have been discussing all those things about how to live for Him in purity and how to have unity, how to be ones that are living in light and in love and in wisdom and harmony in our marriages and how to have blessing in our homes and even in the workplace. And now as Paul begins to wrap up this letter, that's why he says in verse 10, finally, finally, he writes, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
as he finishes this letter to the Christians there, and also for us here at Calvary Chapel, we know that he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in and, and, and the power of his might. Why? As he writes in, in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or the wiles of the devil. You see, we are involved in a spiritual war. And it's very real for you and I as believers, and we talked about this quite extensively last week, that as we come to Christ, and as you're growing in the Word of God, as, as you're a testimony of the gospel, as you are serving the Lord in your life, the enemy is going to come against you and me. And so we are, as we're told in verse 11, to put on the whole armor of God in verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, the world might think that, that it's fairy tale, that, uh, that there is a spiritual dimension that is out there, but it's very real. And the enemy, Satan, and his demons that are very much organized according to verse 12 here, just as we discussed last week, that they're desiring to come against you personally, desiring to come against your family and against this church family. You see, the enemy is not happy that you're coming and you're growing in the Word of God. The enemy is not happy that, that we're proclaiming the gospel. And he's going to do everything that he can to get a foothold into our lives, into our families, into this church family. And so we need to be aware of that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the demonic hosts of, of darkness of this age and the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And that's where we left off last time. So what is it that we're to do that that we're able to stand. You see that word stand mentioned several times already in this text, I believe four times as we go up uh, and read verse 13 here, and, and then we read the word against. So he comes against us, and then we're being told how it is that we can stand to put on the whole armor of God, not just some of it, but all of it. So it's going to be really important this morning as we continue that we know what it is, the armor of God, and the armor of God to put on in our spiritual lives. So, Father, we ask that you just bless this time in the study of your word, that we would be attentive. And I thank you for all those who are here in this sanctuary and in the coffee shop, those listening on live stream. And I pray that we would be attentive, that we'd be free from distractions. And we want to remember that our ringers need to be off our phones. And, and Lord, to be ones that our ears are open to you and our eyes and our hearts teachable, desiring to take in the Word of God. So teach us at this time. Help us to make application so that we can stand in the day in which we're living in, especially in this day where there's so much deception and so many voices out there. There's so much confusion and heartache. Lord, that we want to be established in your Word and apply it in our lives. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 13, therefore, therefore, because you are in a spiritual war, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So in order to make a defense against the schemes of the devil, we're to take up the whole armor of God. And now I want to mention something that I think is important for us in spiritual warfare because I think that sometimes Satan does get too much credit. In the book of Colossians, in chapter 2, I'll read it to you. In verse 14, 
It tells us concerning Jesus, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. In other words, because Jesus went to the cross, we are forgiven of sins, aren't we? Having wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, he he went to the cross, he nailed it to the cross. We are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, forgiven, as he made atonement for you and for me. But then in verse 15, Having done that, having disarmed principalities and powers, the same phraseology as in Ephesians chapter 6 here, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, what we're being told in the book of Colossians is that Jesus disarmed principalities and powers at the cross. In other words, we have ultimate victory over Satan because of what Jesus did for you and for me on the cross of Calvary. So we belong to Christ. We are saved by the blood of Christ. So that's why I say that we don't fight not for victory, but from victory. And here's the thing to remember, that even though we have ultimate victory in Jesus Christ, the enemy is still going to come against you and me. They try to rob us of our joy in Christ the blessings that are ours. He comes to rob and to steal, is what Jesus said. He's a murderer. He's a deceiver, a master deceiver, and a father of lies. And we're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You see, his strategy is to try to get a foothold somehow into your life, into your marriage, to your kids, to make you ineffective in witnessing, to come against you in any way that he can, to try to discourage you, to try to bring doubt and fear and and try to bring defeat in your spiritual life. He knows that if he can get you to fall into sin, if he can get you to be discouraged and defeated and confused, that he's going to have far-reaching effects on you and being a light to others and being able to stand in your walk with the Lord. So we're not told not to be ignorant of uh, his devices and understand, even as Peter would say, that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's looking for opportunities to get at you and pounce on you. And we need to make sure that we're not ignorant of those schemes that he comes up with. He will try to bring confusion and doubt to you concerning the word of God. That's the first tactic that we see in the garden as he said to Eve, oh, did God really say that? Did he really say don't eat of that tree and you'll die? <laughs> yes, that's what Eve said. He didn't really say that you'll die. You're going to be like God. And so he confuses and he twists the word of of God. He, he is called the father of lies. He is the one that is a deceiver, a master deceiver. He's an angel of light as he'll try to pull you into the world and, and you're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the world and living after the pleasures of the world. He's going to try to bring discouragement and defeat and depression into your life. As he says, God doesn't really love you. He's called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation chapter 12, accusing you that God doesn't see you. He doesn't hear your prayers. You're not really forgiven. He must be so disappointed in you. So he has all these strategies that we see that he uses to come against us and and battle against us. And I think that as we look at this, it's very important that we understand that. 
So what do we do? To stand in victory, take up the whole armor of God, as we've been told in verse 11 and verse 13 of God. And now here's the armor of God that is explained to you and to me in verses 14 through 18. First of all, the first piece of armor, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. This is the fourth time that we've been told to stand. And a Roman soldier, when he put on his armor, he would put on a belt around his waist. And Paul, writing this epistle, keep in mind, under house arrest, he's chained to a Roman guard, a Roman soldier there in Rome. And this belt that would be around the soldier would kind of hold his garments together. He would be able to put his weapons on that belt. It's kind of like somebody in law enforcement has that belt, that law enforcement belt that they have that they can put their, their gun on and their, uh, you know, their handcuffs and other equipment that they need. But it kind of holds everything together. And the armor would be tied in a Roman suit and armor to that belt. And of course, when the soldier would go off into battle, he needed that firmly around his waist. It was important that that belt be tied to keep his armor together, to keep his weapons on that belt, to be able to use it. It can't be falling apart because he'd be ineffective and he'd be in danger. When we apply it spiritually, we're to guard our waist with truth. In other words, we need to be living in the truth of God's word. And if we don't, not because Pastor Jeff said so, because the word of God declares it to be so, that if we are not girded in truth, things begin to fall apart in our lives. As I've already mentioned to you, that Satan is called the father of lies, and he does not want you to be established in truth. And I've talked to many people over the years of ministry that have experienced the consequences and the repercussions of sin, of going after the philosophy and the ways of the world. Again, as Paul would write in Colossians chapter 2, he said that in Christ is hidden all the, the, the mysteries and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, that which is not according to Christ. The world's ways and philosophies and voices, and there's a lot of voices that are out there that changes constantly, can bring confusion and deception to you and to me. And there have been those who have given in to those voices, and they've said, I'm experiencing sadness in my life, or the repercussions of going after that which is false, because I didn't know that it was a lie. I didn't know that it would deceive me. The last three chapters, Paul has given us truth and how we should walk with Christ, how to have harmony in the church and walk in purity and how to have a blessed marriage and be blessed in the workplace. And Satan will try to blind you and get you away from that truth of God's word that has been declared to you so he can come and attack you, attack your life personally and, and your family in your relationships with your children, with your spouse, in the workplace, and even in the church. And so Paul reminds us that our lives are to be tied to the truth of God. And when our lives are tied to God's word, we know that when the battle is on and the warfare hits, which it will, your life is not going to unravel on you when you're tied to the truth of what God declares. And you're responding and living in that truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a truth. 
He said, I am the truth. And Jesus is the way to God for salvation as we come to him. And we know that from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 that this is the truth of God's word that is declared to you and to me, and we need to be established in it. You've heard me say this many times, but I will not be negligent to remind you of these basic things, though you be established in them, that if you are not one that is established and you have the, the belt of truth that is girded around you, established in the truth of God's word, you will be deceived. You're going to be deceived big time. All the voices that are out there, all the things that come and tell us how to live, all the fads and the philosophies, they will change over time, but God's word doesn't change. And when I talk to someone that they'll tell me that the battle that they're in or the challenges that they face or the difficulties that they're in, and I give them God's word, and I say, this is how it applies to your situation, to your battle that you're in, your challenge that you face, the confusion that you come to me with. And when they say, well, I don't know if I want to do that or apply that, that word given to me. I think I'll go another direction. This is the way that everybody else is doing it. I know that it won't be long before things begin to fall apart and unravel. And you won't be able to stand. So it's important that we have our waist be girded with the truth, and then not only girding your waist with truth, but verse 14 declares to us, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. So that breastplate in a Roman soldier would protect the vital organs from the neck all the way down to the waist, the full torso, and it would protect the heart. So we as believers, part of the armor that we're to put on is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, here's the important thing to realize. The Bible talks about imputed righteousness and then practical righteousness. When I came to Jesus Christ in faith as my Lord and Savior and surrendered my life to him, positionally in Christ, I am righteous. I am clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His righteousness is imputed to me. So as I'm clothed with this righteousness, you see, one of the things that unfortunately a lot of people believe, and it's even becoming more popular with the messages that are out there today, that if you're just a good person, that you're going to make it to heaven. And I personally believe that if you were to stand outside of even many churches today in Greeley and people coming out, that if you were asked them, you know, why should God let you into heaven, you get all kinds of answers. Well, I'm a good person. I give to the church. I serve in the church. I'm a good husband. I'm a good wife. I'm a good father, mother. I serve in the community, whatever it might be. And as good as those things are, it's not good enough. And that's the truth of the gospel. That Jesus came and he said, that Father, if it is possible, right before he went to the cross, he said, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And what Jesus was saying in that prayer is that, Father, if it is possible, if it is possible for what? For any man, any woman to come into true relationship with the Father, to be forgiven, to have eternal life, if it is possible by their own piety, by their own righteousness, by their own status, and believing in another God, if it is possible in any way, let this cup, what cup? The cup of suffering and death pass from me. I don't need to go to the cross. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. 
And it would be a few moments after that, as Peter's there and pulling out a sword in the garden, trying to defend Jesus, that Jesus said, Peter, put the sword away. Don't you know that I'm going to take on the cup that the Father has given me? I'm going to go to the cross. Because without the cross, there would be no hope for you and for me. And you see, that's the gospel message. That Jesus came to take care of the sin problem because all of us have sinned. And none of us are good enough. And as Isaiah says, that our righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord. And I think that a wonderful illustration of that is found in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. You see, Zechariah had a uh, vision that was given to him in chapter 3 of Joshua, the high priest, that's standing before the Lord. And to the people, the high priest would look so righteous. There's no one more righteous than the high priest. Look at his robes. Look at the breastplate and the miter. And, and he's so righteous. He's so holy. He's the high priest. But as he stands before the Lord, he has dirty garments on. And the Lord says, take those dirty garments off him and put them on a new robe, a clean robe. And it speaks about you and I, that we cannot stand before God in our own righteousness and say that I'm righteous before you, Lord, because our righteousness are as filthy rags before the Lord. So it's important to understand the imputed righteousness that is given to you and to me as we come to Christ and surrender to him and are forgiven. But also with that said, remember that this section of Ephesians deals with our walk and there is practical righteousness of the believer. And it is a heart that desires to do what is right and live in rightly. And a lot of Christians and a lot of people can have sad hearts and broken hearts and hard hearts because they are not walking in practical righteousness. And Satan will try to get you away from desiring to walk in that way of the Lord in practical righteousness. And he says, hey, live for yourself. Seek worldly pleasures. Hey, it's okay if you sin. It's okay. Just a little sin. No one's going to find out. And you're not going to hurt anyone. And all these attitudes that Satan will deceive you into thinking so he can really get a foothold into your life. But there's another application here that I want to just pass along quickly. Satan, as I mentioned to you, in Revelation chapter 12, is called the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night. And so he's the one that accuses you and me that God doesn't really love you. He doesn't really want to use you. He's not really with you. He doesn't hear your prayers. He must be disappointed with you. And as we are Christians are hearing those whispers God must be so disappointed. I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I could be. And the enemy whispers, you're this and you're that. And look what you did in the past. You're not really forgiven. It tells us in Revelation chapter 12 that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of testimony. In other words, the way that we respond to that is saying God's word declares when the enemy begins to just sow seeds of doubt into you and begins to condemn you that I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and that the word of testimony is that he loves me and he promises he'll never leave me or forsake me and I belong to him and I'm his child. And I know that as we do that, that it's going to defeat and what he is doing and we're going to be able to stand. So not only putting on the, the, the belt of, of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, but having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel, verse 15 tells us here. The Roman soldier, of course, would have sandals that would give them traction and good footing. Matter of fact, we know that their sandals 
that they would wear were studded with sharp nails, kind of like cleats on a football player or a baseball player that they would wear to have better footing. And I just wonder, as Paul is penning this, if he isn't thinking about Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, and when he, uh, the prophet writes that how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good joy, which proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. You see, the gospel is not just something that I embrace. It is something that I live. I live the gospel. I live in the good news that Jesus Christ has saved me and forgiven me. It's made me a new creature in Christ. I'm new. He's not old, added to my old life. All things become new. And it affects how I think and the way that I live and, and, and my speech and my behavior and my conduct, doesn't it? It should. A living gospel in us, giving us stability, that gives us peace and assurance. It brings sure-footedness in life. Our feet are anchored to the rock, Jesus Christ. And we've seen over and over again as we're going through those psalms that particularly David would talk about God being his rock, that you're my rock. Lead me to the place that is higher than I. Place me upon the rock, O Lord, because he is our only stability in life. And if you are placing and building your life on anything other than Jesus Christ, you're on slippery ground. And Jesus would say that you be the wise man that here's these sayings of mine that's building like the one, the man on a firm foundation. So when the winds blow and the rains beat against the house, the storm comes, which will, in our lives, that a house is able to stand. Don't be like the one who built their home upon the sand. So when the storms came, great was the fall of that house. So we need to make sure that we are building our lives upon the sure foundation, Jesus Christ, anchored on the rock, Jesus Christ. And then the apostle here continues in this armor of God that we're to take on. Above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You see, when the Roman soldier went into battle in ancient times, they were known for having those fiery arrows that would be used as a weapon. And, and the Romans would use these large shields about two feet wide and about four feet high, the guys up front there, and they make just a whole wall of, of this solid shield of, of armor. And then the guys behind them would have smaller shields, and they kind of put it over their heads, and it would be like a shell above them. And they would advance in, in ranks, and they would do battle. But also, as an offensive weapon, what they would do is they would have arrows. And those arrows, as a lot of you know, were wrapped in pieces of cloth, and soaked in pitch, and then just in the battle, as they would shoot the arrows, right before they launched those arrows, they would have somebody light those arrows. And they would launch it, and when their arrow hit, the pieces of burning material would splatter, and it would cause serious harm if it hit somebody, or to the soldiers all around them, as those burning pieces of cloth would spread all around where the arrow hit. So what is Paul saying? That the enemy Satan is throwing these fiery arrows at you to hurt you, to harm you. You need to have that, that shield of faith that is protecting you. 
He knows that if he can get you to sin, if he can get you to fall, if he can get you to be discouraged, that not only are you going to be hurt, but also those around you are going to be hurt. Because that's the great deception of the enemy. When someone says, no one's getting hurt, no one's going to know, it is a lie. And when we sin, or pursue carnality, or doing things as a detriment to those that we love, our family, our children, brothers and sisters, because we're involved in the world, in the carnality of the world, and the pleasures of the world, a lot of people end up getting hurt. It's not just about you. It's about a whole lot of people that care for you and love you. And we see it in the lives of people that we know and care about that have been hurt very deeply because of all the, the darkness and the difficulties of the world and the lies that they've been sucked into, pursuing this relationship, pursuing that thing that the enemy has tempted them in, thinking that was what going to really bring happiness and fulfillment and satisfaction to them. And it was the enemy leading them to a great deception and hurt for not only them, but a lot of people around them. And he throws those fiery arrows at us to get you to doubt, to be deceived, the arrows of deception and depression and temptation, all kinds of arrows that he has in his quivers. So we are to have the shield of faith. It is when we are in this battle, the shield of faith, that I have to trust in you, Lord, and in your promises to be established in what you declare to me, that you do love me. You'll never leave me or forsake me. That your word is true. And no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. We talked about this in our class in our Young Timothys yesterday, that I was telling the guys the story of the book of Numbers. The children of Israel go up to the border of the promised land, and, and they're to go take the promised land. God had said it's a land of milk and honey, and they sent 12 spies in, and they come back after 40 days, and two of them are carrying a pole with huge grapes on them. They're bringing back fruit and figs and all of this. They said it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Of course it was. God said it was. And they were all amazed, and they said, look, it is a good land. But as Joshua and Caleb, I believe, were carrying those grapes, saying, look at, look at this. It's, it's a blessing. Let's go. Ten of the spies said, but there's a problem. There's giants in the land. And they have huge cities and large walls, and we're but grasshoppers in their sight, and they're going to gobble us up. And the people begin to just weep and cry. And it says that the children of Israel, all of them, wept all night long. Can you imagine Moses hearing the weeping of two and a half million people saying, Moses, why did you bring us out here? You and Aaron, we're going to die in the wilderness. We're going to have our children die in the promised land. And the Lord said, because of your continued disobedience and unbelief, you're going to be in the wilderness for 40 years. And it was lap after lap around Mount Sinai, the largest graveyard in human history, because they would not go into the promised land. Just as God said, I will drive out those inhabitants. I really believe that a lot of Christians have a dry, barren spiritual life because they're not believing in the promises of God and not living in the truth of God's word. And so the doubts and the unbelief and the murmuring and complaining comes. The psalmist writes in Psalm 33, 
For our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Be established in God's promises. Taking on the shield of faith. And then as we continue, having the helmet of salvation, of course, the Roman soldier would wear a helmet around his head for protection. And the enemy is going to try to get into your head and into your mind to have you doubt your salvation, knowing that, that we are saved gives us hope. The knowledge that I have that I'm forgiven and saved, I'm going to heaven, and life is short, keeps me from feeling a sense of hopelessness and no real purpose in life. And I think what can happen to people who don't know about salvation as they get older, they become very cynical, hard in heart, have a sense of what is life really all about, wondering and unknowing. And I know that whatever the enemy throws at me and how he desires to come against me, that I know that I have ultimate victory in the blood of Jesus Christ, that I'm going to go to heaven, and that's what brings me confidence and strength and comfort. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Roman soldier would have a long sword, but also he would have a shorter one, kind of like a dagger, very effective in hand-to-hand combat. And Paul tells us that we have the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Of course, as most of you know, that Hebrews 4 Verse 12 declares, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God piercing the hearts of men. It is speaking here of a working knowledge of the word of God. Remember that the enemy came to Jesus in Luke's gospel, and Matthew records this as well, as he tempted Jesus, and each temptation that Jesus would say, have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? And Satan would leave. He didn't have an answer to the word. So it's very important that we continue to grow in the knowledge of the word of God. And when all the devilish activity is going on around us, when Satan is trying to tempt us and deceive us and condemn us, we need this sword to combat the enemy's assault. And not only is it an offensive weapon as well as a defensive weapon, but verse 18, another offensive weapon is praying always. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the sin with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, praying will always be a part and should be of our spiritual armor. It is what helps keep a Christian strong. And I believe that the enemy Satan trembles at the sight of a believer on their knees praying. The apostle speaks of prayer, which is general requests, supplications, which is very specific requests, and then praying for not only yourselves, but also praying for one another, for all the saints. You see, we need to be praying for our families. We need to be praying for other brothers and sisters. That's why in a directory, we use it for ministry purposes. You can go through when we put it out and pray for all the families and, and by name and praying for them here in the fellowship. And we need to be praying. And as we are praying, it's going to help us to stand. It's going to keep us from the enemy schemes. And there's power in prayer. And I believe that the disciples really understood that as they came, that it was a priority with the Lord. That's why they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Interesting, they didn't ask Jesus, you know, teach us to to preach a powerful sermon. Teach us to work miracles. Teach us to cast out demons. They said, teach us to pray. And those disciples would, in the book of Acts, they would work miracles. They would cast out demons. 
They would preach powerfully, but they knew that prayer was a key and of priority. And listen, there is power and there is strength to the one who is praying and for the church that is praying. And if we don't prioritize it in our lives and in the church, I really believe that we will find ourselves being weak spiritually. Amazing, all the, the information and stuff that I get on how to grow the church and how to have a dynamic church and all of this. And the lights and the glitter and, you know, all of these things that you're to do. Nothing is ever said about praying. They continue steadfastly. And the word of God, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, in prayer, in fellowship, in breaking of bread. The result? They turn the world upside down, those four things. And that's what we're to be about here at Calvary Chapel. Prayer is a very important part of that. Praying for all the saints in this battle that we're in. But then Paul says, pray for me. In verse 19, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Isn't it interesting that Paul prays for boldness? He seemed pretty bold to me. To bring the gospel and to preach the gospel. When was the last time you or me or we as a church that we prayed for boldness to preach the, the gospel? And Paul knew that as he did do this, that it would bring him to a place of where he was in chains and would continue to live in great difficulty. I really believe that in the days in which we're living in, that it's going to get more difficult for you and I to live for Christ without the persecution and the world coming against us and being isolated. I personally believe, because I'm just a simple Bible teacher and, and the Word of God says so, that in the last days it is going to be perilous times. They know this, Timothy, that evil men and impostors are going to grow worse and worse. But you must continue in the scriptures in which you have learned from childhood. And knowing that all scripture is inspired by God and is given to us for profitable for reproof, for doctrine, for instruction in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And know, Timothy, some of the last words that Paul would write that we have recorded, that in the days in which we're living in, that many are going to fall away from the faith. They're going to be given over to demons of doctrines and have itchy ears and heaping up for themselves teachers after themselves that go after fables and myths. And I believe we're seeing that to a great degree today. That there's such an emphasis of put the Bible aside and, and let's do other things and focus on other things, a compromise in the church, or the truth of God's word. And I believe for you and I who desire to honor the Lord in our lives and to stand for him, are the ones that are going to be truly a light. But you and I, the attacks are going to come. And Jesus said that the world's going to hate you because it first hated me. And know that you're going to be persecuted, but blessed are you who are. And we're seeing brothers and sisters in great persecution that we're seeing all throughout the world and increasing. We are in some perilous times. And we need to be aware of it. 
And we need to know what the Lord says concerning the days in which we're living in. And as we are taking heed to what God says, there's going to be blessing and it's a great opportunity to be a light. And he's going to really truly use the ones that are in God's word and desiring to live for him to be a light. It's an also exciting time to be a Christian. Because we get to be ones that are given the truth to a world that's living in darkness and deception as the days get more evil. And people are confused. And they're wondering. So Paul says, give me boldness. It's going to give me chains. It's going to be difficult. But I'm going to give truth to others. But that you may also know of my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know of our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Tychicus, a disciple of Paul, not only carried this letter to the believers in Ephesus, he would relay to them how Paul was doing. Oh, he's a beloved brother and a faithful servant. Two great compliments from the apostle. That's what I want to be known for in the Lord's eyes, one who encourages others in the Lord and a faithful in serving the Lord. And peace to the brethren and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. And Paul puts his pen down. And that's the book of Ephesians. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word and very important subject. All of it has been so wonderful. We thank you for opportunity to hear these words that are God-breathed. And Lord, I thank you that we can be established in the blessings we have in Christ, how to walk for Christ, and how to do battle so that we have victory as we live for Christ. And so, Lord, I do pray that these things would be applied and we would walk in the whole armor of God in our lives. But I also pray this morning, if anyone's listening on live stream or you're in the coffee shop or in this sanctuary, You've never come and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. That he is your salvation. There's no other. No one else died for you. No one else rose from the grave and conquered sin and death. And the Bible says that all of us have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus went to that cross to die for you because of his love for you. He died for your sins. And he rose from the grave. He proved that he was the son of God. He conquers sin and death. And as the book of Romans tells us, that if you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Will you come? That's the invitation. And if you've never done that, we're not asking you to join a church or identify with a church or with a pastor, me or anybody. It's Jesus coming to be forgiven have the hope of heaven and right relationship with the Father, for He is the way, the truth, and the life. And right where you are, because today is the day of salvation, you pray right where you're sitting. Pray that, Jesus, I come to you a sinner, and I ask that you would forgive me of sin. Forgive me of my sins as you died for all of them on that cross. And I believe that you were put into a grave and you're alive because you're speaking to my heart and knocking on the door of my heart and I now ask that you sit upon the throne of my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for hearing my prayers. 
and forgiving me and loving me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Thank you for this new beginning. In Jesus' name. Listen, if anybody prayed that prayer, will you do this? Will you just put your hand up and put it back down? Anybody at all in this sanctuary? I want to give you the opportunity out in the coffee shop. Just come to Christ and give your life to Christ. You don't have to be afraid. I'm not going to extend it. It's just, I want to pray. It's a way of saying, I'm coming to Christ to know Him. Anybody at all in this sanctuary at this time? If you're listening on live stream, write me. If you come to Christ, you're out in a coffee shop, come and tell me the decision you made. But Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to bring salvation. And Lord, I pray you help us to to put on the whole armor of God in our lives, that we withstand the battle that we find ourselves in that is raging all around us. Help those who, Lord, feel weak to be able to stand, to bring healing to those who are hurting, comfort to those who, Lord, need comfort, wisdom to those who need direction. So, Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you please stand?